Whoa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. This is Connor Hawley of the Golden Hours Podcast. And I'm floating on a high. I am. I'm surfing that wave. That wave is cresting, and I'm rolling and rocking. Sometimes you just feel good, man. And good things start happening. Just wrapped the episode with Ken Thews, the CMO of Regal. Great dude. Great episode. Honestly, he has a sick job. Imagine marketing movie theaters all over the country right now. Everything's shut down. We had a great proper interview. Ken was in the Air Force Academy. He's been the CMO of a bunch of companies. The CMO at Red Lobster, I think. I didn't even ask him about that. That's crazy. And he also tried to swim across Lake Erie. He made it 24 miles. It's pretty impressive, honestly. That's insane. Anyway, just to clarify, I said, Ken, we got to put the movie in the Regals. How do we do it? I want to put them in all six, seven of them you guys have in this area. How do we do it? I got to connect with Regal right now. We got to figure it out. But at least Ken knows I'm a good guy. We're trying to get it done. And I'm super grateful for his time, man. That was a good time. All love my brethren. Hustling, rolling. Lexi, take it away. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait. Was that not it? Hey, enter. Just, you forgot to enter. Hi, this is Ken Thews from Regal Cinemas, and this is my golden hour. Ken, baby. What's up, brother? Good. Hey, is my sound okay? You sound magnificent, man. All right. I was told my, I had some sound issues, so I attempted to fix them. and. Apparently I did. You sound a little bit like the Terminator, but I'm okay with it, man. All right. You got it. Are, are you a Terminator fan? Uh, yeah, absolutely. One or two? Uh, probably two. I mean, again, I like them, like them both. Uh, I even like the ones, you know, beyond that, but two, I was, I thought was amazing. Back in the day, I was, I saw it in the theater kind of, it was probably before you were born, but uh, that was fantastic. I, uh, there's actually a really good podcast, which I recommend you listen to called Blockbuster. Have you ever heard of it? Uh, no, I don't think so. It's really well produced and it's by this company called Epiclef Media. And essentially they follow the rise of both George Lucas in Hollywood and James Cameron in Hollywood. And the way they recount James Cameron's attention to detail on the special effects on Terminator is ridiculous. Oh. When you had when you had initially seen it in theaters, were the effects like whoa? Oh, absolutely! I mean, they just blew you away. I mean, you know, kind of like then, however many years after Avatar, you know, he's just—I think he is just multiple steps ahead of everybody else. Well, you probably have a little industry insider info. Is Avatar two coming out sometime soon? (laughs) Well. I don't have as much inside info as Disney would, but um, you know, I think we're hoping for 2022 holiday period. But they, it's moved back and forth. You know, he keeps delaying it, but it'll be, you know, three more movies, two years apart. So when that first one plays, you know, it'll be two years for the next one, and then two more years for the final one, and it'll it'll be in the Christmas holiday period. Are they are they sequenced as a linear story between the three of them? That's my understanding. Cool. Well, hey, before we move on, I have one of our producers, Lexi, on the phone. I didn't want to blindside you. 
Lexi, Lexi, say what's up. Hey, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Lexi helps me stalk guests. Now, before we move on, sorry, I'm just plugging it in here. Before we move on, would you mind just giving a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do for anyone tuning in? Yeah, I'm Ken Fuse, the Chief Marketing Officer for Regal Theaters. We are owned by the Cineworld Group, and we're the second largest theater chain in the world. But who's Ken, man? I don't care about your job. <laughs> Ken, um, for those of you listening, Ken just casually told me, he's like, yeah, I was a little bit into trail running at certain points, but hey, they, she did a little bit of research and it seems like you've done some ultra marathons or some big trail runs before. Uh, I have not. I've done some ultra swimming. Um, so I once tried to swim across Lake Erie from Cleveland to Canada with my brother um, I made it about 25 miles and then we had to give up. We had hypothermia started kicking in. No way. Yeah. So that was a long time ago, quite a few pounds ago, but uh, yeah, it was fun. Now, how were you training for that? Were you doing only open water, or mostly pool swim? Uh, mostly pool. I was a competitive swimmer. So was my brother. So I think I was uh, between my sophomore and junior year in high school. And it was between his you know, sophomore or freshman, sophomore year in college. And we were both competitive swimmers. So we had a lot of pool time. And then we had an uncle that took us out on the lake with his boat. And we did that probably not as much as we should have because um, it is very different. And Lake Erie is pretty rough, uh, very cold. Um, but yeah, it was an experience. We were young, kind of foolish. Now, how long is it across from Lake Erie? How, many, how much did you have to go? Yeah, now, now I'm going to sound uh, even more foolish. It was, I believe, about 54 miles now when I say <laughs> it. I didn't, I didn't make it halfway, but um, again, hypothermia kicked in. And uh, even if hypothermia hadn't kicked in, we probably wouldn't have made it. I, I don't think we trained as seriously as we could have. I mean, we swam a few miles you know, a day at a time in preparation, but, you know, hitting the 23, 24 mile mark was by far the longest we'd ever swum. Now, listen, I, as I had said, I'm training for my first 50 mile ultra right now. It's in about three weeks. I I'm unaware of the ultra swimming world. Is that, is that a common, like a 50 mile swim? Is that a common event in the world? No, I think, um, um, again, back when I was growing up, there had been a number of people who just, you know, a lot of people swim, swim across the English Channel, which I think I, I did that length. I think the English Channel is 22, 23 miles, something like that. Um, and a number of people had tried Lake Erie and had never succeeded. So, you know, being the teenagers we were, we figured we could knock it out and be the first ones, which we, had, we didn't make it. I think since then, somebody has made it. But, um, you know, yeah, I think there are some just crazy people who want to do these long swims to prove they can. And I'm, I'm beyond that now. I'm too old for that stuff. Now, how was the nutrition on the swim? Were you, was someone in a boat like throwing you crackers yeah. or something? Yeah, not, not quite crackers. Those don't taste good when they hit the water. But um, <laughs> my mom uh, was a nurse and uh, she, a lot of like ensure energy drinks and power bar type things i don't think power bar was invented yet but that kind of stuff wow 
You want to do it again, man? You and I can go. Oh, do it. never again. I swear again, I swim now just to stay in shape about four times a, a week. I'll swim a mile and a half to two miles, and that's it. That's enough for me. Now, Lake Erie is like the Midwest. So when did you make the shift down to Tennessee? Yeah, well, I've been in Tennessee for nine years. Um, so I grew up in Cleveland, uh, went to college at the Air Force Academy in Colorado, and then was stationed in Dayton, Ohio, got out, went to work for Procter & Gamble in Cincinnati, Red Lobster in Orlando, Florida, uh, Yum Brands in Louisville, Chili's in Dallas, a company called Spartan Stores out of Grand Rapids, Michigan, and then Nine years ago, my dream job came a knock in and uh, I came to Tennessee, Knoxville, Tennessee. So movies was always the dream for you? Oh, well, I've always loved movies. I never like went out looking to be in the industry. And so I, a headhunter came calling and said, Regal was looking for, you know, head of marketing. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, I would love to do this. And, uh, you know, it worked out well. Now, you never had an inkling growing up. So mind you, as we had talked about on the phone, I'm currently producing a movie in Boston, trying to put it in theaters everywhere. But I always had an inkling when I was younger that like, you know, I kind of want to shift into production. You never had that for yourself? Oh, I'll tell you, I had an inkling. I wanted to be an actor. Um, again, this was a little embarrassing. My mom, you know, got me into some modeling classes and, and <laughs> that's something I have no talent for. I don't know how to take a good picture. Um, I don't have any acting ability. So that was something I thought, hey, I would love. But beyond that, I thought I'd do something math related because um, I've always loved math. And, you know, lo and behold, marketing these days is pretty data driven. And uh, again, things have worked out. Now, so growing up, there was really no attraction for you in terms of movie theaters. Like most people, at least in my experience in the industry thus far, have some sort of like epiphany where they're like, that's my favorite movie ever. I want to do this the rest of my life. Oh, no, I uh, listen. I was a movie fan. Um, my world was a pretty blue collar world. My dad was an iron worker. Um, he died pretty early on in my life. And my mom, like I said, was she was a waitress. And when she became a widow, she got her GED, went to college, became a nurse. But I didn't even know, you know, this type of a job could exist. So um, really, it wasn't something that was on my radar. When I discovered what marketing was after, you know, being an engineer in the Air Force, it was like, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And I've been in a number of industries. So this is my fourth industry and clearly my favorite, um, clearly where I want to end my career. Now, I'm not totally delusional in saying that. Like, I'm sure there are other people at Regal that say, like, I've always wanted to work in movies, correct? Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. And there's, you know, there's a, just in marketing, we've got a pretty eclectic group of, you know, a handful of people who've run theaters themselves. So they grew up through the ranks in the theater and then came over to the corporate world. Others who have come to Regal right out of college. And then others like me who, you know, uh, had, a, had another career and uh, saw the light and came to Regal. Now, Lexi had a really good question when we were doing some research. She asked if if there was any sort of translation between some of the disciplines you learned in the Air Force to a corporate environment. Like, usually a lot of guys talk about stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, my, um, I think going to the Air Force Academy was very different than being an engineer in the Air Force. Um, you know, so in college, that's where I learned a lot about leadership and, you know, you got to be a good follower before you're a good leader. Um, I think being an engineer, it wasn't too dissimilar to what I think a lot of corporate engineering jobs would be. So I, I'd go back, I probably learned more at the Air Force Academy um, uh, around really leading by example and, and, and uh, you know, trying to just take that into the corporate world. So there was no like one moment in the Air Force Academy, like during your, your hell week or is there a hell week for Air Force? Um, yeah, they, you know, there's, we could talk about that all day long. I think the year before um, I got there, a lot of the, the freshmen, we, the plebes, whatever, fourth class cadets um, got sick. So they, they went through hell week and uh, they overdid it. And because of that, there was a lot of oversight and we had to take cookie breaks and, you know, we'd go, we did, <laughs> we did I think a 20 some mile march. And, you know, prior to that, a lot of, you know, different drills and things like that. But the upperclassmen made sure to uh, call out the cookie break and get us some sugar so we wouldn't pass out like the class before us. Now, was uh, that, but, go ahead. I apologize. No, I just, it was a, you know, it was a, it, it was an interesting experience. I think it's not for everybody. Um, you know, I, I made some great friends there. Knowing what I know now, being in marketing, it probably didn't help me in a lot of ways other than maybe some leadership uh, that I, I discovered. But certainly I wouldn't trade it for anything at this point. Now, where I live, kids growing up going to the military is not super common was that in your area was that like a traditional path no no not at all again you know my dad had been you know drafted so you know when that was going on but since they got rid of the draft it, it really wasn't that common and um you know for me with limited means i was looking to go to a school that uh where i could get a scholarship and you know, I think the two schools at my final schools were Air Force Academy on one side of the, you know, conservative spectrum and Amherst College on kind of the polar opposite, very liberal school. Um, both were interesting to me, and I just ended up going to uh, the Air Force Academy. Amherst is near us, man. Yeah, yeah, I know well. You must be a smart guy, because I could never get in there. Ah, uh, who knows? I did all right in math. I struggled in some other subjects. Okay, so currently you are the CMO for one of the world's biggest theater companies, right? Yeah, that's correct. Now, one, that's pretty cool. Congrats. Thank you. It is a fun gig. For sure. Now, how do you position your brand with like, I don't want to center this all around COVID because who wants to hear more about COVID, but how do you position a brand like you're essentially restarting your business entirely? Yeah. So what's going on in your marketing brain right now? Well, in my marketing brain, it's like we're open and we just want to scream that. And, you know, if you've been following the industry, we're probably the last big chain to open our theaters. You know, today, as we stand, we've got about 220 out of 500 and some theaters that are open. We'll have the entire chain open by May 21st. 
but you know that put us at a disadvantage and you know we've had our competitors that were open not doing a lot of business but you know still people that wanted to see a movie in the markets where we were closed they went to the competition so it's really about just reigniting making sure folks know they can come back to us in some key markets while we were shut down we we opened new theaters we've refurbished a number of theaters so we've got a great story to tell um and then beyond that, you know, this industry, probably unlike any other industry I've been in, differentiation is really a challenge. We're all playing the same movies. Um, we all sell popcorn. You know, Rita popcorn's a little bit better, but uh, we sell popcorn and soda and candy. And so the challenge that I've got um, for myself and my team is how do you get somebody who lives near two theaters to choose Regal? And so we've done a lot of things around loyalty. We're, we're trying to push into mobile and augmented reality, give folks just you know that extra incentive to choose Regal if, if all they care about is seeing, you know, Wrath of Man that just recently opened up. You know, we want them to come to Regal for other benefits that they can get. Now, when you say key markets, so in the Boston area, I think there are seven Regal theaters. If I'm not mistaken, there's obviously that token one right by Fenway, which everyone knows about, which I would love to put my movie in. Now, where are your key markets? Is that Tennessee? Uh, no, not really. I mean, we're huge in California and pretty big in New York as well. So I'd say our right now our flagship theater would be um, our Irvine Spectrum Theater in Orange County, California. We're about to open a 24 screen um, theater uh, just outside of Houston in Spring, Texas called Bender's Landing. Um, and that that will be our new signature theater as well. But we're about to open a theater in North Hollywood, another theater up in Stonestown area of San Francisco, um, both of those next week. So I'll be traveling to those. And I think just uh, you know around the country, we've got a great real estate team that's looking for deals um to get a good location at a decent price and then we build our theaters now when you say it puts you at a competitive disadvantage the fact you opened up after amc i could also kind of see it being an advantage because they kind of maybe like burdened the blow and like set told the market like hey we're open it's going to be kind of slow and then you guys just kind of come in there like vipers yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's some benefits. There's a reason why we stayed closed longer than everybody else. And you know, the bottom line is when we opened temporarily in September, we found we were losing more money being open than if we shut down. And so I think that's the approach that we took. We were conserving cash, um, didn't know when COVID was going to end and really just started opening theaters at the beginning of April um, when, it, when we saw the light at the end of the tunnel. And again, by the end of May, we'll have all of them open. So it'll have taken us, you know, seven, eight weeks to get all of our theaters open. Well, I've been having a conversation with a bunch of independent theater owners around here. And this is the common sentiment. If you can make it through COVID as someone in the theater industry, you can make it through anything, brother. Yeah. Um, I mean, our, our industry was hit so hard, you know, not unlike a lot of other industries, but it, it really was difficult and frustrating. And, you know, the industry has tons of independent theater owners. You know, it's very few people, you know, I think the top three circuits, including Regal, make up about 
50, 55% of tickets. And then you've got just tons and tons of smaller circuits out there. So you're right. I mean, it was incredibly tough on these smaller groups that didn't have the financial resources. Um, we're all coming out of it together. I think the future looks great, you know, starting with uh, May 27th when A Quiet Place Part 2 opens up. That's going to be the first of what are more consistent blockbusters coming to the theaters. Does Regal have the strategy now, the fact that obviously you guys have more cash flow than independent theater, to just go say, hey, let's go swallow up all these independent theaters around here, honestly? Yeah, well... Um, you already have the real estate, I would love right? to do that, but you know, we we took a hit as well. You know, if you follow our earnings report and you look at some of the other big theater circuits, um, we've all lost a lot of money, and so that that's hurt the cash flow. Um, we've got cash on the books, but you know, we've got debts as well, and you know, a lot of our landlords have worked with us to you know give us some relief, but you know, the the bills are coming due. So there have been some circuits that have gone under, you know, unfortunately, some incredible um, theaters and they're up for grabs. And I think the problem is we're all coming out of this a little weaker than we went into it. And so right now, we're really focused on just shoring up our concept. If there's an opportunity to buy a circuit, you know, I know our CEO is looking at that kind of stuff, but um, we've really got to just stay the course, you know, get traffic back, make sure everybody knows we're open and all the markets that we're open, get them back for the, you know, the, the movies that they want to see. And then uh, you know, the rest, I think, will take care of itself. Now, how we were talking a little bit about differentiation. How are you going to differentiate yourself from the competitor? Like, all right, listen. Everyone in Boston goes to see the GDP movie. They're pumped to see it. It's an incredible experience. Boston-based resources, that's all it is. Why are they going to go see it in a Regal over an AMC? Yeah, I mean, I think a, a couple of reasons. So we've got, we've got a great loyalty program. So on a national level, we've got about 14 million um, loyalty members that are part of the Regal Crown Club. So what that means is we've got data too. So now we know... All of our members in the Boston area, even on the outskirts of Boston, um, we can message them directly that, hey, you've got a local filmmaker launching a movie um, that takes place in Boston with Boston resources. I think that's going to be compelling. And so we can leverage that data to really speak to our members in a relevant way. If we know somebody hasn't seen a horror movie, I don't want to tell them about the unholy that's showing right now because they've kind of shown that's not what they're interested in. Um, So I think we've got a bigger loyalty program and we've been at it longer. I think we've got better data and our communications is more relevant. The loyalty program itself isn't just your standard, you know, come in and, and get some points and eventually we'll give you a soda or a popcorn or a movie ticket. I think we really go out of our way for more experiences and really some custom rewards for consumers so that, that they want to join our program. Now, I'm a little unfamiliar with the RPX, but does that entail that people can drink booze in the theater? Um, no. So the RPX, I would, I would liken it to, it stands for Regal Premium Experience. Think about a privately owned IMAX brand. 
And so in most buildings, we'll have an IMAX or an RPX. In some buildings, we've got both. And the one behind you, you have both. Okay, well, that's great. And the differentiation, we're, we're just on a rollout plan. RPX really has four things. It's got a giant screen, not unlike IMAX. Um, it's got a great sound system. So it's got a Dolby Atmos sound system. Um, it's got laser projection. And it's got what we call butt kicker. So um, it's not like it's not 40x where the seats are moving and you got all these other environmental aspects, but you've got the base in the seat and you'll you'll feel this rumble and it kind of just adds to the experience. Um, and, and beyond, and again, I, so it's somewhat differentiated. I would say our 40x and our screen x auditoriums are signature. Um, for all intents and purposes, we've got the exclusive rights to both of those. 40X, again, is I think there's 13 different atmospheric effects that happen during the movie. Seats move, you get wind, you get rain, you get bubbles, you get snow, all kinds of things. And then Screen X is basically a 270-degree screen. So that's um, those side panels aren't always lit up during the movie, but during really relevant scenes, I'd say you're probably talking a half an hour of a two hour movie, they're lit up and the scene is extended across them. So both of those are pretty cool experiences. Um, not necessarily something you want to do every single time, but for the right movie, that's a way we're differentiated because nobody else has those. In terms of the 4DX experience, how does the programmer key up certain effects? Is it like yeah. the bubbles hit every 10 minutes and then the wind hits every 15? Yeah, it, it depends on the movie. And so typically, um, the company that produces 4DX, they will edit in the effects. So they'll, they'll, the studio will send them the movie, they'll edit in the effects, and then they'll share that with the filmmaker and the studio. They'll bring them into a lab and get the, the filmmaker to approve the effect. So really just depends. Something like a Fast 9 is gonna just have lots of seat movements, you know, rumbling. Um, something like, uh, you know, it, it can think of a, an atmospheric, you know, if there's storms or, or something that's on the water, you're gonna have more rain and water effects happening. And you can't actually turn off the water effects if you don't wanna get, uh, little splashes throughout. That's like the coolest thing I've ever heard. So can you just, can you list off the effects outside of wind and water? Yeah, so, and I may not hit them all, but you've got, uh, so seat movement. Vibration. Um, yeah, multiple ways, not just vibra it's vibration. Um, it's kind of punching in the back, you know, so if you're going over something and it's also movement, almost not quite 360, but rocking back and forth, turning on a dime, things like that. Um, you've got both a rain effect and a splash effect. So you'll have rain coming down on your head. You'll have a splash in your face. You'll have a wind effect. Um, and, and again, same when you'll, you can have like a tornado effect versus a light breeze effect. There's a snow and our snow is, is technically, I, I think it's like uh, soap flakes or something similar to that. <laughs> um, there's bubbles. I've never figured out quite when bubbles occur, but 
Um, you know, I was in one pretty violent movie and when, as, as people were dying, bubbles were coming out. So it was, it was an interesting take on that. I probably, I probably missed a couple, but you know, that, uh, that would be enough to have a really fun experience. Now I, I can imagine Jurassic Park is super fun in that experience. Yeah, I haven't seen that one, but um, again, I think uh, Mass Nine would be very cool. You'll you'll come out of there a bit exhausted from all the movement. Ken, you've never seen Jurassic Park? No, I haven't seen it in forty years. Okay, no, no, I'm I'm pretty sure you're hard pressed to name a movie I haven't seen. But at this point, it, it makes it hard for me to remember them all. Well, I'll give you a good one that probably had a pretty limited theatrical release in Regal. It's called Ex Machina. Have you seen it? Oh, sure. Yeah. That was a great movie. Awesome. Yeah, it was, was it Oscar Isaac? Was he in that? Who was the, the woman? The... She, it, it was the same woman who was in Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on her name, but uh, yeah, that was a great movie. I, I'm going to send her agent an email and tell her how much I love her. She's beautiful, man. Did you like Blade? Did you like Blade Runner twenty forty nine? Um, it was okay. Not my favorite. Um, I think I would say I like the original Blade Runner better. Yeah, but do you think that you have a little bit of bias? As like, I'm sure you were probably you know closer to my age in the eighties and nineties when all these like really cool standalone movies were coming out. Do you have like a kind of a What's the word? A melancholy towards movies like that? You know, like Golden Age? Yeah, no, I don't think so. You know, my son, who's also in production out in L.A., I, I think he he looks at me as, you know, probably not as artistic as him. I, I've got a pretty high tolerance for entertainment. Um, so even some movies that maybe aren't great and don't get great ratings, I'll still enjoy them. Um, so it really runs the gamut. I, I love just about any genre and, you know, I watch, I watch streaming. I prefer to watch it regal, but I'm watching probably at least one movie a day. Really? Yeah. What is your most recent favorite 2021? Um, you know, I probably, if you have to pin me down on something that would be action, so I really like Godzilla versus Kong just because I, you know, I, I, I was wondering how they were going to make Kong that big. And obviously I saw it from the, from the first uh, Kong movie, but um, I just, I love just watching that. And again, on a big screens, a movie like that, you've got to see in a theater because um, it is so different than watching on your TV. Yeah. And I'm sure there is an aspect to it. It's like, wow, this is the first major blockbuster in the past like year and a half. Yeah, I, totally. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it, I mean, I think it's exceeded expectations given how many theaters were open. Um, but, you know, this year in a theater, I've seen, I've seen Wrath of Man, uh, Mortal Kombat, The Unholy. Oh, uh, nobody, which nobody was a great movie. I'm, you know, Bob Odenkirk in a, in an action role, I think is very unexpected. I think he did a fantastic job with that. Um, that was really enjoyable. Now, are you a big television and show consumer as well? Yeah, um, pretty much, you know, it's tougher now. I've, I've kind of cut the cord like a lot of people. So it's, it's just tougher to, 
you know, get appointment television. I know Disney and HBO are trying to do that. I, I really prefer to binge a show and just, you know, um, but there are some shows that, you know, if they're going to force me to watch it once a week, I'll, I'll make the appointment for, for a handful of shows. Yeah. With that being said, and I could be wrong, you're the marketing guy, but don't you think there's a consumer shift to wanting more short form content with, with high production value? Like, can you see movies becoming a little bit shorter and you guys screening shorter movies? Um, I, I mean, we're not pushing for that. I, you know, I think you always hear some of that, like movies are too long these days. I think we really defer to the artists, you know, the movie makers, you know, they can tell their story in, a, in an hour and a half, more power to them if they need two, two plus hours. You know, when I think of the Avengers movies, I think they all topped out above two hours and pushing two and a half. And I loved them. I think, you know, we sold plenty of tickets. You know, we probably could have sold a few more if they had cut an hour out of it, but maybe not, you know, because I think people were willing to wait and, and sit through it because it was so entertaining. Well, it's different for a big franchise movie. I, I sometimes mean like successful independent films. So let's say like someone came to you with an hour long film. Would you guys be like, hey, this is kind of out of our region or as long as people consume it, do you care? No, we don't care. Um, I think rarely do we see something much below an hour and a half, you know, might hit an hour 20 if it's a kid's movie or um, and, and I do think it, that's a tough sell for the filmmaker, you know, creating some, you know, IP that nobody's aware of. And, you know, because people do, I think, look at at the length. But, yeah, if somebody came to us, we, we've done Oscar shorts and things and packaged them up. Um, I think we'd be open to it. And we've got a film team that kind of makes those decisions of what they're going to try. But, hey, if we can sell a ticket to it, I think I think we'll play it. I agree. I just know kids my age just there's been a gradual decrease in people my age attending theaters. And I think a way to incentivize them is shorter form content where they could be like, yo, before we go hit this bar, we could go see like a 50 minute to an hour movie and have our drinks and then go out. Yeah, possibly. I mean, you've got, you know, we hear that occasionally that, you know, Hey, maybe I want something shorter. Maybe, you know, we've looked at things with kind of the kids your age that, you know, it seemed to always be on a device. And we, you know, we maybe thought about that for a quick minute and didn't really want to introduce that into theaters. But I think we're open to different experiences. And, and again, if, if there's a market for it and if it's worth seeing on the big screen, then by all means, we want to, we want to offer it. Now, going back to the 40X, one before we move on you having a good time man i'm having a blast i hope uh the the people that are listening would be uh interested as well well dude sounds like you get a lot of love on linkedin man that was crazy i think blew up uh yeah i've been uh, i've been around for a while so the longer <laughs> you're around the more people you connect with i hear you well going back to the 40x yeah you you guys seem I've never really heard of an experience with like 14 different features like that. Where do you see virtual reality playing into the cinema experience? You know, again, I, I mean, I'm not the expert. We're doing some things with augmented reality through our mobile app that we're having we're having a lot of success with. And again, it's 
the key driver for us is we want people to have the Regal app because we know then that's going to be their go-to. They'll use it to check what's playing, buy tickets. Um, so we're doing some things around that that aren't necessarily coming into the theater other than you know, once in a while there'll be a poster you can scan and, and we'll give you an AR uh, treatment. But for virtual reality, again, I think, you know, we need the content. Somebody's got to produce something that's not just like a, a short piece of, oh, this is fun. I, I can check it out at Comic-Con or something. But really, that's got a story behind it. Um, and that's worthwhile. I'm kind of surprised that, you know, we've had 3D for, you know, 70 years. Um, and that's gotten better. And it's kind of gone by the wayside. I think 3D isn't as popular as it used to be. Um, but I'm personally a little surprised that VR hasn't, you know, been produced in a way that, you know, it's integrated with a movie and a great story. Wait, did I just come up with that idea? Like, <laughs> I thought that well, was cool. I, again, people are dabbling in it. I don't think anybody's done a, a great feature with it. So have that account. Give us a call when you're done with your uh, VR movie. Yeah. Can you call Disney for me? We need a hundred million dollar budget. Now, here's a question for you. What was the biggest, a movie that as a CMO, you had to push like crazy to get people in your doors that just people ended up really not enjoying? Wow, you're hitting me with that. Um, I mean, there's a lot of movies that that surprise. I don't, I don't know that I really want to, nothing's coming top of mind. I don't know that I want to push and pick on a movie, but Again, you know, you, you have these big blockbusters where the studio has paid $100, 200000000 million and they underperform. And, and I think, you know, those are disappointing for us because we're rooting for every movie. You know, we want every movie to be profitable for us, for the filmmakers, so they come back and bring more. And, you know, there's some great filmmakers out there who recognize the value of the theater. I mean, Christopher Nolan comes to mind. You know, he held Tenet. He wanted to bring Tenet to the theaters. And that's really why a lot of theaters opened in the fall because he had Tenet ready to play. You know, John Krasinski with A Quiet Place. When, when you think about a movie with, you know, certainly with sound editing, but without this crazy amount of sound, it is perfect for a theater. And so those are the types of filmmakers that we love. We want to show them extra love. We want to promote their movies aggressively, make them successful. So they come back to us with their next great movie. That was a good flip. You didn't want to disparage anybody now. And I, I don't recommend you do. This is not like when you have kids, Connor, you love all your kids. Um, the movies out there again, you might have one kid that's not performing well in school, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That parent-teacher coach. But again, I think there's a market for every movie. Some are smaller than others, but um, they they all have something to to give, and and there's value in all of them. So we want them all to be successful. Now, on the flip side of that coin, biggest, most awesome premiere you ever experienced at Regal? Like. Being at a premiere or just a movie that opened up? Well, we had talked about this before the call when I was like, hey, dude, I had one of the best experiences ever seeing Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises premiere. Pack theater, awesome. Yep. What was that for you? 
Well, I, I saw it because that was uh, I mean, 2012. Yeah, August of 2012, maybe July. I had just started at Regal. So I started at Regal the beginning of July of 2012. My wife hadn't moved down to Tennessee yet. So I was kind of a bachelor and I went to the midnight movie, the dark, uh, dark night rises. And, um, it, it was phenomenal. Now I, I'm probably not a midnight movie fan. You know, I've, I've gotten, I've been lucky enough to go to actually some Hollywood premieres. Um, and those are really cool. You know, you see the talent, but you know, I'm the kind of guy just, when the lights go down, it really doesn't matter where I'm at when I'm there. It's just, I'm, I'm just immersed in the movie. Give us an answer, man. Like what was a sick premiere that you liked? Baby Driver was fantastic. Yes, sir. So I, that was out in uh, downtown LA. Um, it, and the, the movie was just a fantastic movie. So absolutely loved it. But I, I'm not going to a premiere every week. I'll occasionally be lucky enough you know, to uh, get to a premiere. And here in Knoxville, we do an annual premiere to raise money for a variety of East Tennessee. It's a children's charity. And um, we will work with studios typically for months to try to get them to premiere one of their movies here in Knoxville and to bring talent. So we had Patrick Wilson a few years ago from Aquaman and, and we played Aquaman um and uh you know so again tom cruise has been here uh we've had uh jack black i mean just uh every year we get somebody and it's it is unusual for knoxville tennessee and it feels like a hollywood uh, premiere now back to baby driver are you familiar with how they edited that movie um I'm not sure where, go ahead, tell me more. They had their editing team on site because the movie is so keyed up to the music and it's so important for the character to drive. They had the editing team on site who would actually edit a rough template of the scene after they shot it on the day. So Edgar Wright could be like, all right, I think we got this with the pacing because the pacing was so essential, you know? Yeah, I didn't know those details, but I did know that the music was so well integrated and I, and I heard that kind of going into it. So, um, I mean, Edgar Wright's another filmmaker that you just, you know, he's very eclectic, but whatever he does, you know, it's just fantastic. What he's really incredible at, which I've actually learned in our filmmaking process is his, his attention to detail on transitions is flawless. Incredible. You know, he'll, uh, I'm blanking on the name of the movie. Just Shaun of the Dead? No, The Golden Mile. Was it The Golden Mile? Did you see that one? Um, I was thinking The Golden Compass, but no, I don't think I did see The Golden Mile. Okay, well, before I sound uninformed, I, I'll discontinue my point. Anyway, he's an awesome director, man. Well, you know, I know he's got, he's got a couple movies coming out this year, including a... Uh, documentary about sparks the band the the brothers um i saw a little clip about that and again you know seeing him do this documentary i've heard it's got some of his flair so i'm really looking forward to that later in the year now here's another movie question for you a movie that you're embarrassed to tell people you really enjoyed did you like 50 shades of gray 
Um, it was okay. <laughs> you loved it. You loved now, it. <laughs> I will tell you though. Um, so on my on my signature, I've got my favorite uh, movies on my email signature. The one movie that's not there, which is uh, I hope I don't come across creepy, is Bring It On. Um, <laughs> I, I thought Bring It On was just a great movie. I really enjoyed it. Um, and I'm kind of a sucker for coming of age movies, so. You know, that's something I'll, I'll go on, you know, streaming services. And I think I'm, I'm on Amazon Prime now where they're starting to feed me more and more. And um, I just watched, uh, I think it was Spontaneous recently, which um, without giving too much away, teenagers, instead of kind of getting acne and stuff, they spontaneously combust. So um, a bit of a comedic horror film. Um, but I just found it really enjoyable. And that's kind of my, I guess, a guilty pleasure. I like uh, just, you know, I've lost my teenage angst. So I, li- I like to watch others go through it. Now, I had a, a woman named Jennifer Flackett on the podcast who she wrote in. Actually, I don't know if she wrote it, but she's the showrunner for a Netflix show called Big Mouth. Have you heard of it? I've heard of it. I haven't watched it. Though. You would really enjoy it if you like coming of age. It's a totally different spin. All right. I'll check it out. Now, in that vein, did you like Bend It Like Beckham? Oh, I did. Yeah. I mean, it probably wasn't my favorite. Like, it's not an all-time favorite, but absolutely, I liked it. And, uh, you know, saw some soccer. I'm not a big soccer fan. But, again, I think you don't need to be when the movie is, is made well. Yeah, no shame in that. I was a huge Twilight fan. I loved that movie series. I thought it was great. I like Twilight. I like The Hunger Games. I, mean, I think both of them. I was... I, I read the books and I watched the movies. Before my ultra marathon in a couple of weeks, I'm going to watch the Hunger Games series because it's in the woods and there's six of us. <laughs> Good luck with that. No, hopefully nobody's chasing you, though. Well, I'm going to keep a real low profile and stalk around a little bit. Now, so in terms of Regal's reopening, I think there are three theaters that are still yet to be reopened in the Boston area. You guys have one in Marlboro, which I grew up going to. How are you further incentivizing people to pop into Regal outside of your subscriber, your subscriber list? Yeah, I I would would say we're not necessarily. I mean, certainly in Boston, when we send out an email, we're sending it out to everybody who's been to any of the theaters in Boston. We're letting them know what's playing and where it's playing. And we recognize like in Knoxville, similar, we've got four theaters in Knoxville, only one of them's open right now. So, you know, a second one's gonna open up this Friday and then the last two will open up on the 21st. Um, Knoxville's not as big as Boston, but it's it's a similar dynamic. We, we let our members know um, which theaters are open. We hope they'll travel. You know, if, if it's too far, then at least we're sharing when their local theater will open as well. Cool. Well, hey, man, I had a great time. Well, same here, Connor. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to see your movie. So, uh, you know, certainly let us all know when you're done with it. I'm aiming to release it late summer with proper marketing rollout. And so I would love to connect. I believe it was Rob, you were saying, connect with him about getting it into your theaters. I think it'd be awesome. Yep. I think, you know, typically probably would look for a screener and, you know, we get a team of people that watch the movies and then, but, but certainly, um, you know, 
to play it in Boston if everything if, if it takes place in Boston I think makes a lot of sense and who knows maybe you'll break out of uh, the East Coast and you know have a hit on your hands that would be awesome now coincidentally Rob excuse me Ken it's post-apocalyptic totally coincidental I wrote it before COVID <laughs> it, the apocalypse isn't a um, virus is it it is not. Okay, good. We that would be totally played out. No one wants yeah. to see that. Uh, okay, man. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time. And yeah, so my we, pleasure. Listen, we have one ending bit. I'm going to say it once. I'm going to say it once. You have to repeat what I say. It's not inappropriate. Just listen closely because it confuses people, Okay. So you say, to start and end the show, you say, hi, your name, and this is my golden hour. Directly after no break, hi, your name, and that was my golden hour. Uh, anytime. Whenever you're ready, brother. Hi, this is Ken Thews from Regal Cinemas, and this is my golden hour. Hi, this is Ken Thews. And that was my golden hour.